Blog Talk Radio. Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday. It is May the 18th. I uh, hope all of you have had a wonderful week. Uh, certainly the weather is turning better, almost springtime, I guess. Uh, we're finally here. And uh, as I say, I hope it's been a great week for all of you, even with all the craziness going on. And there is certainly no end to the craziness. For those of you who are familiar with me, familiar with my program, Well, you know that I'm a retired senior special agent with the former Immigration and Naturalization Service, the INS, an agency that in the wake of the terror attacks of 9-11 was sliced, diced, reconfigured, basically nuked, if you will, to create what was called the Department of Homeland Security. I came to call it the Department of Homeland Surrender. Uh, The administrations of George W. Bush, certainly Barack Obama, didn't do much to enhance our ability to secure our borders or enforce our immigration laws, two of the key recommendations of the 9-11 Commission to which I provided testimony. In fact, uh, this past week, just yesterday, I was in Pennsylvania. I was invited by 912 Patriots to address the crowd. Uh, I'm frequently a guest on the Gary Sutton Show, who broadcasts from York, PA, And it was great getting together with all those folks. And let's remember uh, why they call themselves 912. The day after 9-11, where were we and where are we? And that's what this program is about, trying to figure out what we're doing, what we're not doing, and what we must do if we're going to protect America and Americans. And despite the nonsense and the lies and, and the accusations by the open borders anarchists. Our immigration laws are not about racism or bigotry or xenophobia. It's about keeping out foreign nationals who have no inherent right to enter the United States to keep them out if they present a threat to public health, public safety, national security, or the jobs of Americans. And it's not based on race, religion, or ethnicity. It's based on facts. It's based on Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182, a section of law covered within the Immigration Nationality Act that enumerates who's to be kept out. Aliens with dangerous communicable diseases or severe mental illness. Let's remember that Ellis Island was a quarantine station. Aliens who are criminals, human traffickers, drug traffickers, gun runners, murderers, arsonists, rapists, um, aliens who are spies or terrorists or human rights violators, or war criminals, or fugitives from justice, uh, aliens who've been previously deported from the United States, and aliens who, if they entered, would likely become public charges, that is to say, live off welfare because they did not have the wherewithal to support themselves, or aliens who have no permission to work, but if they did work, would displace American workers. That's it. No distinction by race religion, or ethnicity. It's about protecting America and Americans. But don't let the truth get in the way of the narrative of the open borders anarchists. And 
the issue, the nexus between immigration and national security has never been clearer. And, in fact, I, I want to talk to you in just a couple of moments about a congressional hearing that was held in the middle of last month, middle of April, by the Subcommittee on Terrorism of the House Committee on Homeland Security, the subcommittee chaired by Peter King, congressman from Long Island. I know Peter King. I think he's trying to do the right thing. But I think everyone is overwhelmed, and I think that very often our politicians don't even understand truly the full nature, the full threat posed by terrorists, by transnational criminals, and so forth. But we've seen hearing after hearing. I've testified before many hearings myself. I think my number of hearings is, is up to somewhere between 16, 17, 18, somewhere in that range since before 9-11. And they keep having the hearings, and they keep warning us and informing us and telling us what's happening, they the witnesses. And Congress putters on along. Nothing to see here, folks. Keep on moving. We have judges obstructing the president for trying to enforce our immigration laws, secure the border, protect America, Don't let that get in the way. The judges have ruled against the president time and again. Nobody in positions of power, I can't say nobody, but few people who are truly in positions of power really get it or really care. And people keep getting killed and more terrorist attacks are carried out. More drugs pour across the border, not just through Mexico, but through Canada, through the seaports, through international airports. And the beat goes on and people die, and people lose their jobs, and the politicians could not care less, apparently, especially the leadership from both parties. The Koch brothers, supposedly on the right, are supportive of the same policies towards DACA as George Soros on the left. That's the level of betrayal that we're facing, and most people don't seem to get it. It's not a left-right issue, it's a right-wrong issue. So I have a couple of websites for you to think about, to go to, to check out. My own personal website, obviously, is my favorite, Michael Cutler, one word, C-U-T-L-E-R, michaelcutler.net. do a lot of writing for the social contract. We're going to talk about a couple of articles I just wrote for them within the past week. I write for um, Front Page Magazine, Social Contract, Newsmax occasionally, uh, and trying to add a couple of more websites. Hopefully it will work out, and I'll be glad to pass that information along to you. But this is, again, about waking up America and educating Americans. It's not enough to say, I want the border secured, because the politicians are skilled at lying and creating false illusions, just as I've made the comparison, the magician who promises to cut the woman in half, and everybody knows if he does it, If he hurts her, he's going to jail. No one will ever work with him, and he certainly doesn't want to hurt anybody. Politicians know that the great majority of Americans want our borders secured, our immigration laws enforced fairly and effectively, but they also know that if they actually do it, the people writing those checks, whether it's George Soros or the Koch brothers, will stop writing the checks. And in between, you've got all kinds of organizations You've got the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. You have various religious organizations. You have the ACLU. We have LULAC and METCHA and labor unions. You would think labor unions would be against illegal immigration. Not so much. 
If they don't have Americans who will join or resident aliens, many of them are happy to sign up illegal aliens because if they get the union dues, they've got money. And by adding to their enrollment, to leverage the two elixirs of power, money and influence. And that's all it comes down to. And people who die because of the criminals, because of the terrorists, folks, they're speed bumps to people who have no moral compass. They don't care. I've made the point again and again and again, as long as the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and their allies in the corporate world and in the special interest groups, as long as they're more concerned with headcounts on airplanes and sports arenas and enrollment uh, rosters than they are with body counts in the morgue, nothing is going to change. They don't care. It's just that damn simple. So now... With that to the backdrop, let's start out with the DACA ruling. We have a judge in Virginia by the name of John Bates who said that the President of the United States cannot end DACA unless the President in 90 days can demonstrate why, as President Trump has claimed, it is an illegal executive decision made by the Obama administration. Now, now stop and think about that. Judges are supposed to judge the law. They're supposed to apply the law and say this is where we stand on various issues. Right? DACA was not law. DACA was an end run around the law because Congress could not pass comprehensive immigration reform when they could not pass comprehensive reform They tried to hoodwink the American people by creating the DREAM Act. You remember the word alien? We're not allowed to say it. Well, the A in DREAM Act is alien, as in alien minors. But this was supposed to be about the children. And yet if you ask people, I I did it last night, what's the age cutoff for the DREAM Act? Everyone thinks teenagers. Well, when the DREAM Act was proposed, when it failed to pass Congress, and I testified before a bunch of hearings about it, the age cutoff was 35. The alien had a claim to have entered before he was 16 or she was 16, but they had a file before their 35th birthday. 35, a child. Now, I'm on the wrong side of 40, 50, 60. Wrong side. 35 sounds young to me, but a child? 35 is middle age, folks. How on God's green earth can you declare an adult 35 years old to be a child? And the argument is, oh, They came without having a say in it. They were children when they came here. They were dragged here. How do you prove it? Well, you can't. You can't because there was no facility, no capacity to conduct field investigations. In fact, no ability to interview all the people. Most of these applications were adjudicated for DACA sight unseen. Same thing would have happened with the DREAM Act. So they couldn't get the DREAM Act through. So President Obama, just to refresh your memory, goes to the Rose Garden, June the 15th, I believe, 2012, and says, Congress refused to act. I'm going to act. We're going to take care of children by deferred action. Well, deferred action is a legitimate strategy for immigration, and it was done for humanitarian reasons. And I'll give you an example. This is what I wrote about in my article for frontpagemag.com. So please go to front page, read the article. If you like it, pass it along. Be part of my bucket brigade of truth. See, a lot of people 
who side with the open borders anarchists aren't bad, they're gullible, they're foolish, perhaps they're lazy, they didn't read the material. But I have to tell you, that accounts for most Americans today. How many Americans can really pay attention with everything going on around us? We live in a 15-ring circus, and we're asking people to pay attention to the 16th ring. It doesn't work. So when you see neighbors who disagree, try to have a a, a reasonable, fact-based, peaceful conversation. People who disagree with us aren't our enemies. They're our our allies, rather, if we can win them over. Don't treat them as though they're adversaries. They're not. They might be misinformed. They may be well-intentioned. And remember, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I, I see all this vitriolic stuff. Oh, the libertards, those idiots, this and then the attacks come against the people on the right. and Stop. Stop the noise. Our enemies, the people who oppose America's middle class, the people who don't care about the future of America, the greedy, our enemies, there's a, there's a laundry list of, of rogues characters. <clears throat> they want us to fight among ourselves. It's called divide and conquer, divide and conquer. While you're fighting with your neighbor, you're ignoring the damage being done to you in Washington or City Hall or the state capitol. So let's stop the vitriolic, you know, um, um, nasty arguments and name-calling and all this other garbage. And let's try to go back to this notion of freedom of the speech, which means that we sit down maybe over a cup of iced tea or a cold beer, whatever, with your neighbors and have a peaceful conversation. And I hope the materials I provide can help to get some facts out there. That's what we need to do, because the facts are on our side. Common sense, the laws, morality, all on our side. The other side knows this. That's why they're trying to shut down debate on college campuses. They know they can't win the debate. So rather than have a debate and lose, they shut down the debate and try the tactic of intimidation. It's hate speech. Don't you dare say that. Who said it's hate speech? The word aliens hate speech until they put it in the Dream Act. Then alien minors became palatable. And if you can show that to your neighbors and say, look, let's not have a fight over this. We have children. We have grandchildren. We have our own dreams. Let's see if we could sit down and figure out what's in our best interest because the politicians from both sides of the aisle, the leadership, are as corrupt as they come. They don't give a damn about the average American. They care about the people that could stuff money into campaign coffers because money is an essential component of winning elections today. We're getting the best government money can buy. problem is we don't have the money to buy it. It's the Koch brothers, and it's Soros, and it's the Chamber of Commerce, and it's Bill Gates, and it's Zuckerberg, and it's all those other characters, the masters of the universe. The thing of the matter is, though, what we have going for us, there's lots more of us than there are of them, but only if we can win people over so they understand what's really being done to them. We are being swindled. We're being swindled out of our jobs. We're being swindled, tragically, in some cases, out of our lives. Our children's futures are being taken from them. And I don't care what your political orientation is. We should all be united on these issues. There's no controversy here. Keep out the terrorists. Keep out the drug dealers. Keep out people who would take jobs Americans desperately need to support themselves and their families. That's what we're talking about. How is this a left-right issue? How indeed is it a left-right issue when you go further and consider what we're witnessing? 
and we'll get to that hearing. And that, that, that was the basis for my article that was just published yesterday by frontpagemag.com. Congressional hearing, Iranian sleeper cells threaten U.S. So many hearings, so little action. That was my article. But before we get to that, I just want to finish up on this insanity of this Judge Bates who tells the president that unless you can prove that DACA executive order was illegal, you have to continue it. Who ever heard of a president being warned that you have to continue a policy from the prior administration? Who ever heard of that? This is nuts. You get a new president, particularly if it's from the other party, and things change. That's why people vote for particular politicians, because of their party platforms, which is part of the policies that are executed often through executive order. So you have a a judge telling the president of the United States, prove that the executive order is illegal, not that there's something wrong with the law. This is policy. And what was the policy? To potentially give millions of illegal aliens lawful status. And politicians from both sides of the aisle want to do this to us. And the argument is, well, you know, we can't deport all these people. What are we going to do with them? So when people say to me, what do you do with all these 11 million? There's probably 40 million. This 11 million is nonsense. Well, you know, you answer a question with another question. I joke about it. You know, I'm Jewish. Jews answer a question with another question. So here's my question. What do the police do with drunk drivers they don't catch? What do they do with people who text while driving they don't catch? They do what they can with the people they do catch. Why is it that where immigration law is concerned, we have all these arguments that make no sense and would never be raised in any other issue but immigration? If you can't deport them all, give them green cards. Really? And then the Democrats say, well, we want to make them citizens, but the Republicans are mean. They only want to give them permission to work. And the Republicans stand there and say, yes, we are stern. We are tough. We are macho. No citizenship for them. We're going to put those illegals on the back of the line. Back of what line? For pizza, ice cream, jelly beans? What line? The citizenship? The majority of illegal aliens don't come here looking to become citizens. They come here looking to work. And both parties want to give them permission to work yesterday so they can send money home, which hurts our economy, which hurts American and lawful immigrant workers. But the Republicans are strong. They say, well, we're not going to give them citizenship. So guess what? You have an illegal alien who gets lawful status, gets married, gets a green card, and applies for citizenship if he wants citizenship or she wants citizenship that badly. And if you don't have enough agents to go out and conduct fraud investigations to see if these people are really living together or it's a marriage fraud, they're going to get their green cards. They're going to get their citizenship, with or without the amnesty, because they're here, and both sides of the aisle want them here, because many members of Congress, both parties, are lawyers, immigration lawyers. That's what's going on. So when you hear the rhetoric, so-and-so is a conservative and a this and a Forget the titles, forget the labels, forget the BS, folks. Please. This is all part of the magic act. This is that magician that's going to saw the woman in half. We don't have to worry about how an alien who gets lawful status is going to get citizenship. 
they just marry an American, and the American files for them, and three years later they can apply for citizenship. End of story. What's the noise about? The noise is all fake noise. They're in on this together. It is a scam. And when immigration lawyers leave Congress, and there are some who are, um, they practice immigration law, they've set things up, so they're going to do really, really, really well when they leave Congress and presumably take up their old hobby of immigration law. You know, if you go to the American Immigration Lawyers Association, it's just so remarkable because immigration fraud is a major issue. It's something I've been screaming about since before 9-11. My very first hearing that I testified at was on May 20th, 1997, on the issue of visa fraud and immigration benefit fraud. And why did they hold that hearing? Because of the terror attacks of 93. A guy by the name of Kansi from Pakistan shoots up the CIA in January 93, kills two CIA officers, wounds three others, and flees from the United States. Normally, they get away with this stuff. They have an escape hatch, foreign nationals, when they commit crimes here. Not in Kansi's case. Given the nature of the crime that he committed, he was dragged back here, put on trial, found guilty, executed, but the dead remain dead. And then you had one month later the bombing at the Trade Center. Six dead, over a 1,000 injured. Could have brought the tower down sideways. I don't want to imagine what that casualty count would have looked like. But as it was, they inflicted a half billion in damages. They all committed immigration fraud. Mahmoud Abu Lima, the ringleader of the 93 bombing, the, the out on the street, not the sheikh. The sheikh was the ringleader of ringleaders. But uh, Mahmoud Abu Lima got agricultural amnesty thanks to Chuck Schumer's amnesty provision for the Reagan administration's amnesty. Both sides of the aisle, they're in on it together. Reagan and Schumer and Kennedy, perfect together, right? Please understand that this is both parties that have done this to us for decades. So immigration fraud is a big issue. In fact, I wrote a, an article for the social contract, Immigration Fraud, The Lies That Kill, it was such a popular article. So many people were so interested in it that the publishers of the social contract approached me and said, hey, Mike, this was so good. Can you do a booklet? Spent a couple of uh, months on this, and I put together a booklet. It's 34 pages, but it's small. For those of you who are familiar with this pocket-sized constitution they'd be giving out forever, I got one when I was back in, I guess, junior high from the, the Hancock Insurance Company, the John Hancock, you know, the signature. Uh, and it was the Constitution. It's that size booklet. So you can put it in your pocket, and it's 34 pages. I think it's very informative. Of course, I wrote it, so I'm going to tell you it's very informative. As my mom said, self-praise is no recommendation. But we try to address the issue of immigration fraud. So fraud is a big deal. You know, criminals lie. They lie about everything. Well, terrorists use lies where immigration was concerned as a means of entering the United States and hiding in plain sight and vetting themselves. So when you go to the American Immigration Lawyers Association website, there's a link, and the link is immigration fraud. <clears throat> so you look at that, and you say, boy, this is great. You know, I know they're lawyers. You know, that doesn't say much for them. But having said that, um, maybe they're doing the right thing. Because, you know, attorneys are supposed to be officers of the court. Maybe they're warning people, you know, if you commit fraud, you can go to jail. If you commit fraud and it involves terrorism, the jail sentence could be as high as 25 years. That's how serious this business is. So I, I was looking for some cautionary thing in there, you know, the American Immigration Lawyers Association. <clears throat> no luck, folks. No such luck. It was about people, aliens, who don't go to lawyers but go to notaries public for immigration advice, and that's 
the lawyer's version of immigration fraud. They're getting terrible advice from notaries because in home countries of many of these aliens, notaries, notarios as they're referred to, are people you go to for legal advice, but not here. Go to a lawyer because notarios do a lousy job. So for the lawyers, immigration fraud was lawyers being swindled out of clientele. They're happy to swindle the rest of America out of their jobs, but don't screw with the lawyers because these guys are in on this together. Don't you dare take a client away from us lawyers. That's immigration fraud to immigration lawyers. And some of them are members of Congress. How exciting is that? Does that not give you the warm fuzzies? Now, how important is immigration? Let's now turn to my article that was just published for Front Page Magazine, Congressional Hearing, Iranian Sleeper Cells Threaten the United States. So many hearings, so little action. So, on April 17, 2018, the House Committee on Homeland Security Counterterrorism and Intelligence Subcommittee, that subcommittee chaired by Peter King, held a hearing, and the, to- the topic was state sponsors of terrorism in examination of Iran's global terrorism network. Now, it's funny, because two days uh, before um, I wrote my article last month, uh, or it was published, I actually wrote my article before the hearing, not knowing the hearing was coming, but, you know, I submit articles, and it takes a couple days for the editors to put my articles up, because they have a bunch of really great writers. I I really recommend that you go to frontpagemag.com, great publication. So it takes a couple days, usually, from the time that I write an article, submit it, and it's posted. So a couple days before the hearing, I wrote another article about what's going on on the border. You know, on the other side of that Mexican border, we have jihadis and drug dealers, drug cartels. And I talked in my article about the threat of Hamas, Hezbollah, ISIS, Al-Qaeda operating in the tri-border region of Brazil. And also we have members of the Quds forces, the Iranian shock troops, flying routinely from Tehran, Iran, into Caracas, Venezuela. South America is a hotbed for Middle Eastern terrorism. Most people don't realize it. You don't see it in the evening news, do you? So that's how important the U.S.-Mexican border is. How hard is it for Mohammed to convert himself to Miguel if he gets to spend three, four, five years in the United States and is able to get uh, some phony documents or maybe legitimate documents from corrupt government officials in Latin America? And then they can come across the border. And i got to tell you, as an immigration agent, I did this job for 30 years, you can very often sit across the table from another person and be clueless as to what country they're from. I could tell you a story. It's kind of funny, but not funny. Um, I was part of the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force. So when I was promoted to senior special agent and given that assignment, all of us who pulled that, that assignment and that promotion, because it was a promotion to senior special agent, uh, we went down to Quantico, to the FBI DEA Academy in Virginia, and we received training. And um, all of us got to know each other. It became like a little fraternity because there were only about 60 or 70 agents for the entire United States. These are INS agents assigned to the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force. Going back to my earliest days as an immigration agent, I had tripped over a terror plot in Israel which prevented ultimately the bombing of an oil refinery. So as you might imagine, I, have, I had a wonderful relationship with the Israeli National Police and the folks 
who I trained with all knew about it because we all swapped war stories and talked about what contacts we had and how we could work together to help each of us further the work that we were all doing. We were in this together. It's a big team. So I got a call one Friday night, and this is in the early 90s, and the call was from a team of agents in Houston, and they told me an amazing story. They were doing surveillance on a safe house for drugs. This is where drugs were being stored by the cartels. Mostly in those days it was coming across, well, through Mexico, but the Colombians were involved in other countries, other nationalities were involved. This isn't purely about Latin America, folks. And so they saw a guy who looked Mexican. He was wearing Mexican clothing, had dark curly hair, dark complexion. From the distance, he looked like he might be from Mexico. And they saw him get into a car with a satchel. And when they approached the car and they could look in, they saw a sawed-off shotgun lying on the floor of the car. They saw the bag. They pulled the guy out at gunpoint because he came out of the house that was under surveillance because they knew that narcotics was being brought into that location. So they pulled this guy out of the car, and they start speaking to him in English, and the guy couldn't speak English, and they figured, well, he probably speaks Spanish. We're in a Spanish neighborhood. He's wearing Spanish, you know, Mexican-manufactured clothing. He apparently couldn't speak Spanish either. So they're looking at each other and thinking, what in the world are we dealing with? So they've, they've got the guy in custody because they've got the gun, they've got some drugs on him, and there was money in the car also. And they started digging around in the upholstery of this van that he was driving. And guess what they found? As he saw the agents coming, apparently, he had enough time to quickly tear up his passport and stuff it into the upholstery of the van. Guess what country he was a citizen of? This guy that they thought was Mexican was Israeli. And because they knew about my working with the Israeli government, they asked me if I could get some information about the guy. And, of course, the Israelis immediately, within a couple of days, put together a dossier on this guy. And they actually sent a diplomatic pouch to New York containing the dossier to help us with our investigation. Now, why am I telling you about it? Because it is difficult, if not impossible, to determine who's who and what's what without a, 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 a legitimate scorecard, a reliable scorecard. That's why I laugh when I hear someone's undocumented and we're supposed to feel better. I feel worse. In fact, when I raised that issue in a debate with the ACLU many years ago over at MSNBC, or perhaps it was a young lady from LULAC or Mets or one of those groups, but all I remember is when we did that, within 48 hours, those groups and the Bush administration, believe me, both sides of the aisle, started to use the term unauthorized instead of undocumented. Now, why is this important? Because how in the world can you differentiate an Iranian from a Mexican who is well-schooled in Latin America, in the language, in the culture, in the traditions? has working knowledge of, of the areas, you see. So you look at this hearing, and the whole point to this hearing is the, the, the risks we face from Iran and Iran's client terrorists, Hezbollah and the Quds forces. Now what's astonishing, because I, I knew that they had a significant number of the bad guys, but believe it or not, according to information provided by expert witnesses at this congressional hearing, there are approximately, and you better fasten your seatbelt, 200,000 individuals affiliated with the Quds forces, which are the Iranian shock troops, and Hezbollah and other such organizations. 
and they're well-trained, and most of them, if not all of them, have seen combat in Syria. So these are battle-tested, battle-hardened, well-trained, well-equipped terrorists, soldiers, sleepers. What do you want to call them? Many of them are in Latin America. So when you look at this kind of information and you realize this is not the first time that there's been hearings like this, you know, I testified at many hearings after 9-11, a couple of which were within a year or two after 9-11, and I always raised my concerns about sleeper agents, but I wasn't unique in that concern. When Robert Mueller was the head of the FBI, he stood before Congress, stood before the Senate, and talked about sleeper agents. What have we done about it? What have we done to ferret out sleepers? See, sleeper agents maintain a very low profile. They don't get into barroom brawls. They generally don't speed. They generally don't jaywalk. They do everything they can. They don't spit on the sidewalk. They don't have disagreements. They smile at everybody. You know, somebody once said that an effective spy is somebody who would not attract the attention of a waiter or waitress in a greasy spoon diner. You could say the same thing about a terrorist or a sleeper agent. Because their goal is to travel in stealth mode. They don't want people to remember they met them. They don't wear flashy clothing. They don't drive fancy cars. Low profile. They go about their day. If someone bumps in, they smile. Oh, I'm sorry. Excuse me. Yes, indeed. They're all very happy. And meanwhile, in the back of their minds, they're thinking, when I have my day, you'll be dead. You'll be dead. You'll be dead. You'll be dead. They're here to kill. Or they're here to support terrorism by fundraising and by committing other crimes, often selling drugs. It all ties together. So we've been listening to this stuff for a couple of decades now. It goes back to before 9-11. And we still have a wide open border. We have politicians promising to secure the Mexican border but not voting for it, including Republicans. How does that make sense? We know from one expert after another expert after another expert after another expert and after still more experts that there are international terrorists from the Middle East operating in Latin America, and that border is wide open. And if you dare suggest we shut that border, then you're a xenophobe and a racist and a hater, and you don't care about people, and you lack compassion, and you're an overall dirtbag. But let's have some more hearings. And let's hear what's on the other side of door number one, the Mexican border. It's the stuff of nightmares. So let me read to you, and of course I hope you will go read the article and then forward the article to everyone you know and post it on Facebook, post it on the social media. Why? Because I want you to be part of my bucket brigade of truth. But what I'm about to read to you will probably make it difficult for you to sleep tonight. But as I told Jim Sensenbrenner when he chaired the House Judiciary Committee, if I can't sleep at night, sure as hell I don't want you sleeping at night. So here goes your antidote to uh, not enough rest. You'll be up tonight. Now, the person that I'm quoting is a gentleman by the name of Dr. Emanuel Otolenge, and he is a senior fellow with the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies. These are not lightweights. These are people who understand the issues And by the way, there were four witnesses at the hearing, and it's typical for witnesses to disagree. I know I've been in those hearings. There was some disagreement about whether or not the United States and President Trump should withdraw from the deal with Iran, for and against. And you could see why there's for and against. 
Not one of the four disagreed with each other on the issue of border security and our vulnerabilities to sleepers and terrorists. They stood shoulder to shoulder and marched lockstep, and the testimony of each one was more disconcerting than the testimony that preceded it. So there's no disagreement here. Everyone's singing the same jingle, and Congress is about to go on recess and play tiddlywinks. Stop and think about the madness, folks. It took us 44 months to win the Second World War. 44 months after 9-11, I sat at a hearing where we were discussing the fact that the president, Bush, had been given enough money to hire 800 new ICE agents, and he cut the number to 143. He was given enough money to hire 2,000 Border Patrol agents that year, and for the next four agents, he cut that number to 210. At that hearing, I listened to Richard Stenner, the head of GAO's division that has oversight over immigration, talk about how they were still working on a mission statement and priorities for immigration. Forty-four months after the worst terror attack ever perpetrated on the United States, more people died than were killed at Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941. Forty-four months to win the Second World War, we built fleets of airplanes that had never existed, and ships, and radar, and tanks, and guns, and bazookas, even atomic bombs, 44 months, done with. 44 months after 9-11, they were still having a debate about mission statements in Washington. What do we do with immigration? And what the Bush administration did, and it was made abundantly clear by um, John Hostetler, the Republican chairman of the House Immigration Subcommittee, what the Bush administration did was to violate the Homeland Security Act and created this functional agency that made it impossible to secure our borders or enforce our immigration laws, even though that was the whole point behind the Homeland Security Act, because immigration was identified as the key issue. And look where we are today. And look at what Bush did. He cut the agency up, and all the people put in charge of immigration law enforcement had no immigration law enforcement experience back then. And by now, the institutional knowledge that I have no one has a clue what immigration law enforcement even looks like today. After eight years of, of Bush and eight years of Obama, my gosh, you could be talking about pterodactyls. No one knows anything about immigration enforcement today. It is a, a faint whisper of a ghost. And I thought it was bad before 9-11. Today, immigration law enforcement from the interior is almost non-existent because we lack the resources by design. We have 6,000 ICE agents for the whole country. We have 20,000 Border Patrol agents, 45,000 people at last count at TSA, 37,000 police officers just for the little city of New York. Immigration agents, well, there are 6,000 ICE agents, and more than half of them aren't even doing immigration work. So now we're down to 3,000 immigration agents. And it's not just about arresting illegal aliens. It's about making certain that if we get mandatory E-Verify, that field investigations are done to make certain that unscrupulous employers don't pay people off the books. Fraud investigations are done to try to locate sleepers and criminals and people that game the system. We need the agents to go out there and arrest the criminal aliens. But without the agents, it doesn't matter what laws get passed. And that's the game Congress plays on us because we have too many damn immigration lawyers who have positions of authority in Congress, who don't want the laws enforced. They just want to create the illusion, just enough of an illusion 
so it generates business for the lawyers. And so it placates the average American who's clueless. Believe me, I haven't seen a good piece of legislation that would do what's needed because no law that I have seen in the last, I don't know how many years, including today, point to any law that's been proposed, none of them, zero, call for the hiring of a single immigration agent. One law that's getting a lot of publicity calls for hiring State Department agents to go after visa fraud. But God forbid you should enforce the laws and actually go after employers or actually go after the fraud. You might take business away from immigration lawyers. God help us all. This is what protects us. Especially so when you realize what the testimony from Dr. Otolenghi looks like. So fasten your seatbelt, hang on to your armrests, and here's two short paragraphs that will probably get your motor running. I hope it does. In recent years, these are his words, in recent years, Hezbollah's Latin American networks have increasingly cooperated with violent drug cartels and criminal syndicates often with the assistance of local corrupt political elites. Cooperation includes laundering of drug money, arranging multi-ton shipments of cocaine to the United States and Europe, and directly distributing and selling illicit substances to distant markets. Proceeds from these activities finance Hezbollah's arms procurement, its terror activities overseas, its hold on Lebanon's political system and its efforts both in Lebanon and overseas to keep the Shia's communities loyal to its causes and complicit in its endeavors. And now the last paragraph, and this is a real butte. The toxic crime terror nexus. Think of those three words, crime terror nexus, is fueling both the rising threat of global jihadism and the collapse of law and order across Latin America that is helping drive drugs and people northward into the United States. Did the Republicans vote for the wall that President Trump is desperate to build? They were as helpful as the Democrats, weren't they? I wonder why. But let me read on. I'm not done. It is sustaining, that is to say, this criminal, this uh, crime terror nexus, it is sustaining Hezbollah's growing financial needs. It is helping Iran and Hezbollah consolidate a local constituency in multiple countries across Latin America. Folks, this is on the other side of that wall that doesn't exist, right? It is thus facilitating their efforts, that is Iran and Hezbollah, to build safe havens for terrorists and the continent-wide terror infrastructure. This is Latin America, not the Middle East, folks. Continent-wide terror infrastructure that they, that is to say Iran and Hezbollah, could use to strike U.S. targets. And what have we done to secure the border against that flood of people and drugs? Bupkis. And when the president says, I'm going to send the National Guard down, it's a measure. It was done by Obama, done by Bush. But when Mr. Uh, Obama did it, everyone said, oh, look, he's tough. 
when President Trump does it, look, he's nasty, he's evil. I find it remarkable. We lost 3,000-plus people on 9-11. People are still dying from the toxins they ingested on September 11, 2001. First responders are dying. People that lived in Manhattan, dying. The, um, there's a drug bill to pay for the medical treatment of people who were sickened on 9-11. has billions of dollars in it, but the money doesn't measure the human suffering. So 9-11 still hasn't claimed its last victim yet. We've had more terrorist attacks. Faisal Shahzad, the Times Square bomber, tried, fortunately, unsuccessfully to kill people by setting off a car bomb in Times Square. And by the way, Ray Kelly, who at the time was New York City Police Commissioner, bright guy, I met Ray Kelly, he's no dummy. He was a member of the U.S. Marine Corps. He was the Customs Commissioner, twice New York City Police Commissioner, and I would argue the NYPD is the most sophisticated police department in the United States, if not the world. 37,000 cops. That's not a police department, folks. That's a small army or a medium-sized army. All sorts of resources. And yet, Ray Kelly called Faisal Shahzad a classic example of a homegrown terrorist. Faisal Shahzad came here from Pakistan at the age of 20 on a student visa. How the hell do you call that guy homegrown? Yes, he became a United States citizen. So what? Then you had the Boston Marathon bombing. Then you had the bombing the uh, the attack in San Bernardino. Now, this didn't involve people running the Mexican border, but interior enforcement might have detected it. The fact they committed fraud on their applications might have been picked up, especially the Tsarnaevs. And what have we done? Nothing. We had eight people killed by an individual who had been legally admitted in the United States. This happened on the west side of Manhattan about six months ago, mowed down by a truck. So we hear all this nonsense, let's go after the guns, the guns, the guns, and meanwhile terrorists are using the trucks, the trucks, the trucks. You could use almost anything as a weapon if you want to. You could kill people with a skillet. What next? We're going to tell people to buy rubber pots and pans? You know, maybe, and I, and I agree with Donald Trump, and, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a strong supporter of the Second Amendment. Um, my first wife died many, many years ago. Her mother was in a concentration camp, and she used to always argue with me about guns. And one day, as she reached towards the end of her life, we had this conversation, and I said to her, why are you so against guns? Why in the world didn't the Jews stand up to the Nazi bums during the Holocaust? She was in a concentration camp. Many members of her family were killed. I was named for my grandmother who died in Poland. My mother's mother died there. So, you know, our families had suffered greatly under the Holocaust. And my mother-in-law said to me, we had no guns. How could we defend ourselves against those Nazi bastards? I said, so you were defenseless and you want Americans to be defenseless. Does that make any sense? Guns are important not just to protect us from criminals, but to protect us from tyranny. And I, I don't agree that... We should be able to carry any weapon we want, and I believe people should have to have thorough background checks. We don't want terrorists or crazies getting their hands on guns. I took quite a few firearms away from murderers and drug dealers and gang members, and I was very happy to do so. But I believe that Americans that want to carry firearms, if they're willing to be properly trained, you don't just take a gun and wander around with it, just like you have to be licensed and trained to use a car or an airplane. Same thing with firearms. 
But what Donald Trump has said is right. If you have a firearm and someone attacks you, you're in the position to, pr- to protect yourself and the people around you. If you don't have a firearm, you're waiting. You're a sitting tuck, a duck. You're, you're a target waiting to be shot. And it's remarkable, all the screaming. But we're seeing vehicles more, more than ever being used as weapons of mass destruction. But you see in sanctuary cities the push and states for providing driver's licenses to illegal aliens so they could then rent vehicles. Think about that. The disconnect, the hypocrisy. Chuck Schumer says if you trespass on critical infrastructure or a landmark, then you should go to jail for five years. But if you trespass on America, we should give you citizenship. We see all this debate about the wall on the border and all the accusations and all this nasty garbage coming from both sides of the political aisle. And at the end of the day, when the budget agreement had to be signed, there was no money for the wall. Now, I just read to you what's going on in Latin America. It's becoming a hotbed for Middle Eastern terrorists. You would think that you'd want to be able to secure your country against them. And we are wide open. And we're wide open because we don't enforce the laws from within the interior of the United States either. See, I would argue that interior enforcement of the immigration laws is at least as important as building the wall. And we have to do both. This isn't an either-or proposition. General Paul Valley, a retired major general in the U.S. Army, uh, I'm blessed to be able to call Paul a personal friend. He arranged a speaking event for me in Montana. I visited with him and his family uh, in his beautiful new home. My goodness, the way this guy lives, you've got to love it. In the middle of the woods, deer come up to his house. Just a perfect setting for a great American. And we got into a discussion, and I was trying to explain to him and some other folks why we have to coordinate interior enforcement with secure borders. And I'm not a military guy, and I'm not going to pretend I know something I don't know. So I asked him, I said, tell me, Paul, Am I wrong or am I right that probably one of the main reasons that the U.S. military is so unstoppable, we've been so successful, is that our military is able to coordinate close air support with ground forces? Because my understanding is ground forces with no air cover walk into a buzzsaw. Air assets without ground forces can't secure territory. So you need to coordinate, interlace air cover with ground forces at the same time. And he said it was a great analogy, great explanation, because he, he told me I was right. Now, I'll take Paul Valley, General Valley's word. If he says this is the way it is, well, he's my go-to military guy. Border security and interior enforcement similarly have to be interlaced. Do you know how many times it takes an illegal alien to enter the United States? Not really a trick question, but it's a thought question. It takes them one more time than the number of times they're stopped by the Border Patrol. Now, why do I ask the question? Because it is almost an inevitability that a determined person to enter America illegally will succeed. And we know what happens when people get to the airport and the inspector admits them or they claim political asylum and they're released on their own cognizance. They disappear into the woodwork. Catch and release, by the way, doesn't just apply to the border. I had to deal with it for all the time that I was a special agent with the INS. Very frustrating. So who's going to look for the people that disappear into the woodwork? Who's going to conduct the fraud investigations? Who's going to go after the employers? 
Who's going to be on the Joint Terrorism Task Force? And by the way, the second largest contingent of law enforcement personnel assigned to the Joint Terrorism Task Force are immigration agents. Think about it. Foreign terrorists violate our immigration laws by being here. They lie to get their visa. They lie to the inspector. They use phony documents. They get involved in fraud schemes, whatever it takes. What's the antidote? an adequate number of immigration agents to conduct the investigations and flush these bums out before they can do harm to us. Cultivate the informants in those communities. And by the way, that's another big fat lie we're always told. Well, if the police worked with immigration authorities, aliens who fall victim to crime would never come forward. Lie after lie after lie. They will come forward. They absolutely will come forward because we can offer them the authority to remain in the United States, work, and send money home. And if they really hit a home run, we can get them a green card, and they can bring family members here. And I know when I worked with the FBI, DEA, ATF, I had desks at all three agencies for 10 years. They all said the same thing. They said, Mike, your authority as an immigration agent to help aliens who are here illegally to remain in the United States legally, if they help us put our cases together, is a far stronger incentive for cooperation in the ethnic immigrant communities than all the money that we can give them. And believe me when I tell you, the FBI has super deep pockets. They almost have a printing press for money in the basement. But yet, the FBI, DEA, ATF, all were of the belief, and the local cops, that my authority as an immigration agent to keep illegal aliens in the United States when they become cooperators, cooperators, I can get the words out, created a strong incentive. And there is no better example of community policing than the ability to walk into an ethnic immigrant community and get the cooperation of those residents, and not just from Latin America, but from all over the world. So understand how important immigration law enforcement is. Understand when you see this statement at that hearing about what Latin America has turned into about the threats that we face from Hezbollah just on the other side of that Mexican border. And you have politicians who are screaming at the top of their lungs that they're not going to build the wall no matter what. No matter what. Perhaps an atom bomb coming across the border wouldn't even deter them because they have a bigger issue. How much money can they stick in their campaigns? How much can they be promised voting blocks? And how much can they oppose President Trump because his name is President Trump? They don't care. They don't care. This was a a hearing where witnesses were being provided from both sides. Nobody said, oh, no, that border is fine. Nothing to see here, folks. Quite the contrary. But this is just one of dozens upon dozens of hearings that focused on sleeper agents and sleeper cells Terms, by the way, you almost never hear in the media anymore because they want to call every terrorist homegrown so we can eliminate the notion that any of these people ever came here from any place else because what's more important to, to these folks than anything else is eradicating our borders and flooding America with cheap, exploitable labor. Hardly a, a, an example of compassion when you exploit people, but that's what they would have you believe. And the drugs fund the terrorism if you want to know where iran gets the money for its rockets besides the money that obama gave them and boy didn't that airplane with the sacks of money look like a scene out of a bad movie 
I was waiting for Wesley Snipes or some other actor to come out of the shadows because I was convinced this was a, a bad movie. Wesley made good movies. I'm not trying to insinuate he made bad movies. I like the movies he made. But this was like a bad Hollywood plot. Airplane flies in, and they offload the money, hopefully in small bills and, and non-sequential serial numbers. This is insanity. This is insanity. This is what has now come to pass for business as usual at a time that we know there are terrorists who want to kill us. Does this make any sense to any of you who are sitting there? And if it doesn't, then please get involved. We have elections coming in November. This is very important. This is very important. And don't look for the R or the D after the member's name, the the candidate's name. Where do they truly stand on the issues? They're either with us or they're not. They're either with us or they're against us, folks. And we're the only people who can make those bums accountable. But we need to be involved if we're going to do that. And and so, you know, I, I keep on making the same points. I hope this helps you, but you really need to sit down with your neighbors, whether they agree with you or not, and try to convince them about the dangers that we and our children and our grandchildren are being made to face. Um, It just blows my mind that today we're in a situation where we don't have control over our borders. And, you know, I I even quoted a a passage from the 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel about how um, Richard Clark, the national security advisor, had warned about sleeper agents from al-Qaeda throughout the United States. This was right after 9-11. This isn't a news alert. This threat to national security has been ongoing for decades, and every day that we ignore it, every time an alien gains entry into the United States, terrorists are getting an opportunity to succeed in entering America and betting themselves, acting as a sleeper, waiting for that phone call, calling them to action. Please understand that the day before a terrorist carries out an attack, he or she is likely to be hiding in plain sight by going to his or her job. Often it's a job that requires a vehicle, so they have mobility and camouflage, perhaps going to a university, maybe even teaching at a university. Sleepers don't walk around with signs on their heads saying bad guy. You know, in the movies, the music changes, the lighting changes, you know who the bad guy is. In real life, my goodness, I'm sure that you could walk by a terrorist and never even pay attention to the individual because they are good at hiding in plain sight. That's known as the embedding process. This is how dangerous the situation is, and that's the reason that you need to pay attention. Please check out my article. There's a link in the article, by the way, to my booklet, Lies That Immigration Fraud, The Lies That Kill. Um, Please forward this material. It is so important. And think about how sanctuary cities further endanger us by providing safe haven to terrorists who are looking to carry out an attack. Please get involved, folks. Democracy certainly is not a spectator sport. Hope you have a good weekend, provoked some thought, and I look forward to seeing you again next week at the same time right here on the Michael Cutler Hour. So long, everybody. Take care.